Kia ora. This program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Beloved listeners, welcome to today's radio program. I'm Carlota Ikonobu and I'm very happy to be back with you to present the New Zealand Greek Metropolis's Christian Orthodox Radio program on Wellington's Access Radio 106.1 FM. This is with the blessing of our Archbishop Gerios Gerios Miron. We hope you'll find today's program both interesting and spiritually enlightening with its mix of readings and explanations from the Holy Gospel, question for the priest, readings from spiritual books, some discussion on the lives of the saints, hymns and notices. Now for a few words of introduction in Greek. Αγαπητοί ακροατές, χαίρετε. Σας ευχαριστούμε που είστε συντονισμένοι μαζί μας για ακόμη μία φορά στην εκπομπή της Ερεάς Μητροπόλεως Νέας Ζηλανδίας στο Wellington's Access Radio 106,1 FM η οποία γίνεται με την ευλογία του Μητροπολίτου μας κύριος κύριος Μύρονας. Ελπίζουμε να σας έχουμε μαζί μας καθόλη την διάρκεια της εκπομπής μας από την οποία εύχουμε όλοι μας να οφειληθούμε πνευματικά. Και τώρα ας ξεκινήσουμε το πρόγραμμά μας με την προσευχή Βασιλέ Φουράνιε. Βασιλέ Φουράνιε, παράκλητε το πνεύμα της αληθείας, ο πανταχού παρών και τα πάντα πληρών, ο θησαυρός των αγαθών και ζωής χορηγός, έλθε και σκήνωσον εν ημίν, και καθάρισον ημάς από πάσης κυλίδος, και σώσον αγαθέτας ψυχάς ημών. O Heavenly King, Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who art present everywhere and fillest all things, Treasury of good things and giver of life, come and dwell in us and cleanse us from all impurities and save our souls, O Gracious One. Let's spend some time now talking about important church events as well as the lives of some of the church's athletes whom we commemorate either today or will do so during the week to come. Today is the Sunday of St. Gregory Palamas and I will speak about this shortly. 
I will also speak about the Venerable Benedict of Nursia, whom we commemorate, God willing, on the 14th, and the Venerable Alexis, Man of God, whom we will remember on the 17th. We will also have both Father Melatheos and Father Thaddeos speaking a bit more to us about confession, given that we are in this period of great Lent. As we've said previously, the reason we read and talk about important church events and our saints is so that we learn from them and apply these learnings to our everyday lives, essentially to give us the courage and the strength to face all our trials and tribulations with faith, patience and love. Let's start with St. Gregory Balamas. St. Gregory of Balamas's feast day is celebrated on 14 November, but in addition, a further commemoration has been held since the 14th century on the second Sunday of Great Lent. Why, though? Quite simply, to remind us of the triumph of orthodoxy. St. Gregory was born in Constantinople in 1296. His father was a prominent dignitary at the court of Emperor Andronicus, but he died when Gregory was a young boy, and so the emperor raised and educated him. A gifted child, Gregory mastered all his academic subjects, and so the emperor hoped that he would devote himself to government work, but he, at the age of 20, withdrew to Mount Athos and became a novice and then a monk at Vatopedi Monastery under the guidance of elder St. Nicodemus. A year later, the holy evangelist John the theologian appeared to him in a vision and promised him his spiritual protection. Gregory's mother and sisters also became monastics at this time. After Elder Nicodemus's repose, St. Gregory spent eight years under the guidance of another elder and after his repose transferred to the, mon to the Lavra of St. Athanasios where he served in the Trapeza and then became a church chanter. Three years later, striving for a greater degree of spiritual perfection, he went to the small Skiti of Glossia, where he learnt the method of unceasing mental prayer, or esichasm. In 1326, because of the threat of Turkish invasions, he and the other monks went to Thessaloniki where he was ordained a priest. Here he combined his priestly duties with the life of a hermit, spending five days in silence and prayer, and only on Saturday and Sunday did he celebrate divine services and preach sermons to his people. Sometime later he found a place suitable for solitary life and soon gathered a small community of solitary monks and guided them for five years. In the year 1331 he withdrew to Mount Athos and lived in solitude at the Skiti of St. Sava, but in 1333 was appointed abbot of another monastery. Three years later, however, he returned to St. Sava where he devoted himself to theological works. During that time, though, events took place in the life of the Church which put St. Gregory amongst the most significant universal defenders of orthodoxy, and he was recognised as a teacher of Essechism. These events were triggered by a well-educated monk, Varlam, who was the author of treatises on logic and astronomy and a skilled orator. Varlam stated that it was impossible to know the essence of God and subsequently declared mental prayer a heretical error. In doing so, Varlam entered into disputes with monks and attempted to demonstrate the created material nature of the light of Mount Tabor. 
He ridiculed the teaching of the monks about the methods of prayer and the uncreated light seen by the Hesychasts. St. Gregory, at the request of the Athenite monks, replied initially with verbal rebukes, but, seeing the futility of this, put his theological arguments in writing. Around the year 1340, the Athenite ascetics, with the assistance of the saint, compiled a general response to the attacks of Adalam. At the Constantinople Council of 1341, St. Gregory debated with Vardalam, focusing on the nature of the light of Mount Tabor, and the council accepted St. Gregory's position. That being that God, unapproachable in his essence, reveals himself through his energies which are directed towards the world and are able to be perceived like the light of Tabor, which are neither material nor created. The teachings of Varlam were condemned a heresy, and he was anathematized and fled to Calabria. But the dispute between the Palamites and the Varlamites was far from over. Varlam's disciple and Bulgarian monk Agidinos wrote a series of tracts in which he declared St. Gregory and the Athenite monks guilty of causing church disorders. St. Gregory in turn wrote a detailed refutation of Agidinos's errors. The Patriarch, however, supported Akidinos and called St. Gregory the cause of all disorders and disturbances in the church and had him imprisoned for four years. A new Patriarch had St. Gregory released, however, and made him Archbishop of Thessaloniki. Subsequently, the Council of Blachernay upheld the orthodoxy of Gregory's teachings, but the people of Thessaloniki did not immediately accept him, and he was compelled to live in different places. St. Gregory performed many miracles in the three years before his death, healing many sick people. On the eve of his repose in 1359, St. John Chrysostom appeared to him in a vision, saying, To the heights, to the heights, St. Gregory's holy relics are kept in the cathedral of Thessaloniki. Orthodoxia sophostir, ecclesia sto stirigma, ke didascale, ton monas toni caloni, ton theologoni permachos Let's now speak about the Venerable Saint Benedict of Nicaea. Saint Benedict was born to rich and pious parents in the province of Nursia in Umbria, Italy, in the year 480. His name in Latin means blessed, and he is considered the founder of Orthodox monasticism in the West. 
St. Benedict wrote a rule of Western monasticism which was based on the works of Basil the Great, the Venerable Bachomios, and John Cassian the Roman. When he was 14 years old, his parents sent him to Rome to study. Unsettled by the immorality around him, he decided to devote himself to a different sort of life. At first, he settled near the church of the holy apostle Peter in the village of Ephedum, but news of his ascetic life compelled him to go further into the mountains. There he encountered the hermit Romanus, who tonsured him into monasticism at the age of twenty, and directed him to live in a remote cave. From time to time Romanus took food to him. Saint Benedict devoted himself to asceticism, prayer and study, and became a chosen vessel of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. His reputation spread quickly, and the monks of the sacred monastery of Vicovaro asked him to be their rabbit. The saint agreed to this, but soon was forced to leave the monastery because those who elected him considered him t- too strict. So they slandered him and attempted to poison him. The saint miraculously survived and returned to his beloved solitude. Later there gathered around him many disciples who wanted to become monks under his inspired guidance. He received them and founded a cenobium in which he applied his monastic rule. He called his cenobium a school in which he said, We are taught to serve the Lord. For better guidance of the monks, he founded twelve small cenobitic communities. Each one of these had a head and eleven other monks, but he was the spiritual father of all. St. Benedict's rule prescribed the rejection of personal possessions as well as unconditional obedience and constant work. It was considered the duty of older monks to teach the younger and to copy ancient manuscripts. This helped to preserve many memorable writings from the first centuries of Christianity. Every new monk was required to live as a novice for a year, to learn the monastic rule and to become accustomed to monastic life. Every deed required a blessing. Keeping the monastic rule was strictly binding for everyone and was regarded as an important step on the way to perfection. Saint Benedict was slandered again and defamed by a certain priest, so, not to create problems for the monks, he again departed into his beloved stillness where he remained until the end of his earthly life. He reposed in peace after foretelling the day of his death in the year 547. Saint Benedict was patient, full of love, endowed with the gift of wonder-working, and a continuous benefactor to all without discrimination. The Venerable Gregory the Theologist, in his book entitled Dialogues, makes reference to the life and miracles of St. Benedict. The ascent of St. Benedict to the heights of virtue and perfection took place through living the Orthodox faith, and this Orthodox faith was given to his disciples, leading them in the straight path of the commandments of Christ, and it was by this faith that he was made worthy to work miracles and heal spiritual and physical illnesses. 
The rule that he wrote dominated Western monasticism for centuries, and by the year 595, it had appeared in more than a hundred editions. I would like to end with a well-known counsel of the saint. He said, Rejoice when you suffer injustice, be glad in the implementation of the divine commandments, and feel as if every day you are giving an account for all things before the judge. Let's listen now to his apolitikion. Let's now speak about the venerable Alexis, the man of God. Saint Alexis was born in Rome into the family of pious and poverty-loving parents. The couple was childless for a long time and constantly prayed to the Lord to grant them a child, and their prayers were answered and Alexis was born. At six years of age, the child began to read and successfully studied the everyday sciences but it was with particular diligence that he read Holy Scripture. When he was a young man, he began to imitate his parents. He fasted strictly, distributed arms, and beneath his fine clothing secretly wore a hair shirt. Early on, there burned within him the desire to leave the world and serve God. His parents, however, had arranged for Alexis to marry a beautiful and virtuous bride. On his wedding night, Alexis gave her his ring and his belt, which were very valuable, and said, Keep these things, beloved, and may the Lord be with us until his grace provides us with something better. Then, secretly leaving his home, he boarded a ship sailing for Mesopotamia. Arriving in the city of Edessa, where the icon of the Lord, not made by hands, was preserved, Alexis sold everything that he had, distributed the money to the poor, and began to live near the church of the Most Holy Theodokos under a portico. The saint used some of the alms he received to buy bread and water, and distributed the rest to the aged and sickly. Each Sunday he received the Holy Mysteries. His parents looked for him everywhere but without success. The servants sent to find him arrived in Edessa, but they did not recognize the beggar sitting at the portico as their master. His body was withered by fasting, his beauty had vanished, and his stature had diminished. The saint recognized them and gave thanks to the Lord that he received alms from his own servants. The saint's mother was inconsolable and confined herself to her room, constantly praying for her son. 
His wife also grieved with her in-laws. Saint Alexis lived in Edessa for 17 years. Once the Mother of God spoke to the sacristant of the church where the, church, where the saint lived, saying, Lead into my church that man of God worthy of the kingdom of heaven. His prayer rises up to God with like fragrant incense, and the Holy Spirit rests upon him. This sacristan began to search for such a man, but was not able to find him for a long time. Then he prayed to the Most Holy Theodokos, beseeching her to clear up his confusion. Again, a voice from the icon proclaimed that the man of God was the beggar who sat in the church portico. The sacristan found Saint Alexis and brought him into the church, and many recognized him and began to praise him. He, however, secretly boarded a ship bound for Cilicia, intending to visit the church of St. Paul in Tarsus, but God intended otherwise. A storm took the ship far to the west and it reached the coast of Italy, and the saint journeyed to Rome and decided to live in his own house. Unrecognized, he humbly asked his father's permission to settle in some corner of his courtyard and he was given a specially constructed cell and orders were given to feed him from his father's own table. Living at his parental home, the saint continued to fast and spent day and night at prayer. He humbly endured insults and jeering from his father's servants. Saint Alexis's cell was opposite his wife's windows and the ascetic suffered grievously when he heard her weeping and it was only his immeasurable love for God that helped him endure this torment. Saint Alexis dwelt at the house of his parents for 17 years and the Lord revealed to him the day of his death. Then the saint, taking paper and ink, wrote certain things that only his wife and parents would know. He also asked them to forgive him for the pain he had caused them. On the day of St. Alexis's death in the year 411, Archbishop Innocent was serving liturgy in the presence of the Emperor Honorius and during the services a voice was heard from the altar saying, Come unto me all ye who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. All those present fell to the ground in terror. The voice continued, on Friday morning the man of God comes forth from the body. Have him pray for the city that you may remain untroubled. They began to search throughout Rome but did not find the saint. On Thursday evening the Pope was serving vigil in the church of St. Peter and he asked the Lord to show them where to find the man of God. After liturgy the voice was heard again in the temple. But this time saying, Seek the man of God in the house of Ephemanius. All hastened there, but the saint was already dead. His face shone like the face of an angel, and his hand clasped the paper, and they were unable to take it from him. They placed the saint's body on a cot and covered it with costly coverings. The Pope and the Emperor bent their knees and turned to the saint, as yet to one alive, asking him to open his hand. And the saint heard their prayer and opened his hand. When the letter was read, the righteous one's wife and parents tearfully venerated his holy relics. The body of the saint was placed in the centre of the city. 
the emperor and the pope carried the body into the church where it remained for a whole week and then was placed in a marble crypt. A fragrant myrrh began to flow from the holy relics, bestowing healing upon the sick. The venerable relics of Saint Alexis, the man of God, were buried in the church of Saint Boniface and his relics were uncovered in the year 1216. Εκρίζεις εκβλάστησας περιφάνους και γλυνής εκ πολέως σύνθησας βασιλικής και λαμπράς Αλέξη επάν σοφέ πάντον διπερφρονήσας ως φθαρτών If you've just joined us, welcome to the Holy Metropolis of New Zealand's Christian Orthodox Radio Programme on Wellington's Access Radio, 106.1 FM. I'm Carlote Konomo and I'd like to remind you that you can listen to this and previous programmes at your convenience anytime that suits you through the Access Radio website at www.accessradio.org.nz. Click onto the Religion and Spirituality link, then scroll down to the Greek Orthodox Holy Metropolis of New Zealand section. It's now time for Question for the Priest, and Father Meladios, priest, monk, and abbot from our monastery in Levin, will answer the question, Is confession an ancient sacrament of the Church, or is it something new? Holy confession was a rite that was familiar even during the times of the Old Testament. We are reading in the book of Leviticus. When anyone is guilty in any of these ways, he must confess in what way he has sinned, and as a penalty for the sin he has committed, he must bring to the Lord a female lamb or a goat from the flock as a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement of him for his sin. In the book of Numbers, the Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, When a man or a woman wrongs another in any way, and so is unfaithful to the Lord, the person is guilty and must confess the sin he has committed. He must make full restitution for his wrong, add on fifth to it, and give it all to the person he has wronged. The book of Proverbs, He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confess and renounce them finds mercy. This was the reason that the crowds swarmed to John the Baptist and confessed their sins, after which he would certify their repentance through baptism. In the New Testament we are finding in the Gospel according to Matthew, people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River, according to Mark. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region, 
and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. This rite was also continued by the Christian Church, as we can see it recorded in the Acts of the Apostles. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. This resulted in the forgiveness of sins by the Apostles in conformance with the promise of the Lord that He would give the Apostles this authority. In the Gospel according to Matthew, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loosen on earth will be loosened in heaven. Again Matthew, I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loosen on earth will be loosened in heaven. This promise was fulfilled after Christ was resurrected. Naturally, this forgiveness of sins did not lay in the apostles' powers, but in the blood of the Lord. Gospel according to John. Again Jesus said, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me. I'm sending you, and with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. The first epistle of John. But if we walk in the light, and he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. During the sacrament of confession, the, the priest intercedes as an instrument, a servant of Christ, and the steward of God's sacraments. The first epistle to Corinthians. So then man ought to regard us as servants of Christ, and as those entrusted with the sacraments of God. Apostle Paul is writing to Titus. Since an overseer, episcop, a bishop, is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing this honest gain. Again, the Epistle of John. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Also, this, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and do not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. During the time of the ancient church, confession took place in public, in the sacred congregations of the faithful, which were naturally attended by the priesthood, but also by the bishop, who was the one empowered to give absolution. We can find in the writings from the first centuries confirmation of this practice. All who repent are forgiven by the Lord, provided they repent in the unity of God and in a convention of a bishop as St. Ignatius has characteristically specified. While in his work teaching, he urges, Confess your trespasses in the presence of the Church, and do not come to prayers with a mischievous conscience. This is the path of life. St. Kiprianos stresses that a sinner is re-accepted into the ecclesiastical community, in the other words, in the sacrament of the Divine Eucharist, by delaying on of the hands of the bishop and the priesthood, after first having confessed his sins. 
Furthermore, Holy Communion is not administered to anyone unless the bishop and the priesthood have previously placed their hands on that person, as the absolution that is given through a priest is pleasing to God. Oregon looks upon it as a natural follow-up that is in the accordance with the practice of the one who established the sacrament of priesthood within the church, for the ministers and the priests of the church to similarly undertake the sins of the people and in emulation of the master to grant them the absolution of their sins. Oregon in his homily on Leviticus. Basil the Great refers to confession during the apostolic church and concludes that it is necessary to confess our sins to those who have been entrusted with the stewardship of God's sacraments, because the first Christians used to confess to the apostles who also baptized everyone. John the Chrysostom says of the priesthood, even though they inhabit and still walk the earth, they have nevertheless undertaken the supervision of celestial affairs with an authority that God did not give either to the angels or the archangels. He indeed never said to the angels, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loosen on earth will be loosened in heaven. Yet the binding of priests reaches the very soul and it traverses the heavens, and everything that the priests enact below God authorizes from above. The master upholds the decision of the servants. Did he not give them full celestial authority? He said to them, Whosoever sins you may withhold, they shall be withheld. As we can see, the Orthodox Church continues to this day the proto-Christian tradition of confession in the presence of a spiritual father. It's now time for Father Thaddeus to speak to us in Greek, and today he will t- continue on from last week's topic of confession. Με τη χάρη του Αγίου Θεού είμαστε και πάλι σήμερα μαζί, Δευτέρα Κυριακή των Ιστιών, κατά την οποία η Αγία μας Εκκλησία μνημονεύει τον Άγιο Γρηγόριο τον Παλαμά, Αρχιεπίσκοπο Θεσσαλονίκης. Όπως και την προηγούμενη εβδομάδα μιλήσαμε για το μυστήριο της μετανοίας και εξομολογήσεως, το ίδιο θα κάνουμε και σήμερα. Συνεχίζοντας λοιπόν, θα ήθελα πολύ απλά και σύντομα να υπενθυμίσω τις προϋποθέσεις που χρειάζονται για να εισέλθει κανείς στο ιερό μυστήριο της εξομολόγησης. Καταρχήν θα πρέπει να έχει το γνώθη σε αυτόν, που σημαίνει θα πρέπει κανεί να έχει αυτογνωσία, να γνωρίζει τον εαυτό του, να αποδέχεται ότι είναι άρρωστο πνευματικά και ότι έχει ανάγκη πνευματικού ή ιατρού. Θα πρέπει να αναγνωρίζει τα πάθη, τα ασφάλματά του, τι αδυναμίε του και πω μόνο με τη βοήθεια και συνεργασία σωστού, έμπειρου και πρωτίστω θεραπευμένου ικανού ιατρού και πνευματικού οδηγού, μπορεί να ξεριζώσει τι κακέ συνήθειε, αμαρτίε και αρρώστιε ψυχή που του έχουν γίνει φυσική κατάσταση με τελικό σκοπό την θεραπεία του και τον αγιασμό της ψυχής. Με λίγα λόγια χρειάζεται ειλικρινή μετάνοια, δηλαδή όπως προείπαμε και σε άλλη εκπομπή, χρειάζεται αλλαγή τρόπου ζωής. Πλέον ο μετανοημένος άνθρωπος δεν γυρίζει πίσω στην παλιά του ζωή. Ουδείς επιβαλών την χείρα αυτού επάρωτρον και βλέπων εις τα οπίσω, εύθετος εστίνει στην βασιλεία του Θεού μας, λέει ο Κύριος. Κανείς που έβαλε το χέρι πάνω σε άρωτρο και βλέπει προς τα πίσω, δεν είναι κατάλληλος για τη βασιλεία του Θεού. Αλλά προχωρά μόνον μπροστά ατινίζοντας το αληθινό φως και την μοναδική αλήθεια που είναι μόνον ο Χριστός, ο μόνος ιατρός των ψυχών και των σωμάτων. Και γιατί λέγεται ιατρός των ψυχών και των σωμάτων, διότι ο ίδιος χαρακτήρισε την αμαρτία ως ασθένεια και τον εαυτό του ως ιατρό 
όταν απαντώντας εκείνους που τον κατηγορούσαν ότι επισκέπτεται τους αμαρτωλούς είπε «Δεν έχουν ανάγκη υγιείς από ιατρό, αλλά οι ασθενείς. Δεν ήρθα να καλέσω σε μετάνοια τους δικαίους, αλλά τους αμαρτωλούς». «Ναι αδελφοί μου, γι' αυτό χρειαζόμαστε το πνευματικό θεραπευτήριο που λέγεται Ορθόδοξη Εκκλησία, αλλά και τους ιερείς της. Όχι μόνο το κτίριο, αλλά και τα μυστήρια που επιτελούνται από τους πνευματικούς ιατρούς της. Δεν αρκεί να πάει κανείς μόνο μια βόλτα σε κάποιο νοσοκομείο για να γίνει καλά. Αλλά θα πρέπει να επισκεφθεί και κάποιον γιατρό και να του εξομολογηθεί το πρόβλημά του. Όπως το ακούσατε, να εξομολογηθεί. Να βγάλει από μέσα του αυτά που νιώθει, τον πόνο του και τις διάφορες σκέψεις που έχει μέσα στο μυαλό του και οτιδήποτε άλλο του συνέβη στο παρελθόν με όσο το δυνατόν περισσότερες λεπτομέρειες και πληροφορίες ούτως ώστε ο γιατρός να έχει την καλύτερη πλήρη εικόνα για την κατάσταση του ασθενούς ανθρώπου και με τη βοήθεια της ιατρικής εμπειρίας και τεχνολογίας να βρεθεί από τι είδους ασθένεια πάσχει ο άρρωστος και να δοθεί η κατάλληλη θεραπεία. Ο γιατρός δεν είναι δικαστής και εισαγγελέας ώστε να αρχίσει την ανάκριση και να απευθύνει διάφορες κατηγορίες στον ασθενή όπως «Γιατί δεν πρόσεχες, δεν το ήξερες πιο μπροστά, δεν ακούς τι λένε οι γιατροί και οι επιστήμονες για την υγεία του σώματος». Όχι αδελφοί μου, βρίσκεται εκεί μόνο και μόνο για να βοηθήσει τον ασθενή να ξαναβρει την υγεία του. Το ίδιο ακριβώ κάνει και θα πρέπει να κάνει ο πνευματικός ιατρός που όπως είπαμε πρέπει ο ίδιος να είναι πρώτα θεραπευμένος όσο είναι δυνατόν για να μπορεί να θεραπεύσει και τους άλλους. Ξέρετε τι λέει ο Ιερός Χρυσόστομος για την Εκκλησία. Εδώ είναι ιατρείο και όχι δικαστήριο. Ιατρείο που δεν ζητά ευθύνης για τα αμαρτήματα, αλλά δίνει συγχώρηση των αμαρτημάτων. Και ο Άγιος Νικόδημος ο Αγιορείτης τι μας λέει. Η Εκκλησία είναι ένα κοινό ιατρείο όπου ιατρεύει όλους τους αμαρτωλούς που πληγώνονται νοητός από τον διάβολο. Και παρακάτω, ο οίκος αυτός είναι ιατρείο πνευματικό για να θεραπεύσουμε τα τραύματα που δεχόμαστε έξω από αυτό. Βέβαια ίσως κάποιοι να αναορτηθούν και να πούν «Ναι, τα δεχόμαστε όλα αυτά που λέει η Εκκλησία μας και οι Άγιοι Πατέρες για το μυστήριο της εξομολόγησης και μας φαίνονται πολύ ορθά και λογικά, αλλά πάλι επιμένουμε στο εξής. Είναι όντως υποχρεωτικό το μυστήριο. Πρέπει οπωσδήποτε να περάσει κανείς μέσα από αυτό. Η απάντηση είναι πολύ απλή και την δώσαμε στην προηγούμενη εκπομπή. Από τη στιγμή που δίνει την εξουσία της αφέσεως των αμαρτιών ο ίδιος ο Χριστός στους μαθητές του και έπειτα σε όλους τους συνεχιστές των Αγίων Αποστόλων διαδοχικά μέχρι και σήμερα είναι αυτονόητο και δεν υπάρχει καμία αμφιβολία ότι είναι υποχρεωτικό και απαραίτητο. Μετά την Ανάστασή του κατέστησε τους μαθητές του επίσημα διαδόχους και συνεχιστές του έργου του. «Καθώς απέσταλκε με ο πατήρ, καγό πέμπο ημάς και τούτο υπόν ενεφίσε και λέγει αυτή. Λάβετε πνεύμα Άγιον, αν την οναφείτε τας αμαρτίας, αφήνται αυτής, αν την οκρατείτε και κράτηνται. Είναι πολύ απλά τα πράγματα. Ας προσθέσω και κάτι ακόμη για να γίνει ακόμη πιο κατανοητό. Μήπως θυμάστε την περίπτωση του παραλυτικού της Καπερναούμ. Τι είπε ο Χριστός μας τον παραλυτικό, βλέποντας και θαυμάζοντας την πίστη αυτών που τον κουβαλούσαν. Και ειδών ο Ιησούς την πίστη αυτών, είπε το παραλυτικό. Θάρση τέκνον, σου. Καταλάβατε τι έγινε. Δεν τον θεράπευσε στο σώμα αλλά στην ψυχή. Έδωσε προτεραιότητα στην θεραπεία της ψυχής και όχι του σώματος, άσχετα εάν τον θεράπευσε έπειτα και στο σώμα λόγω των πονηρών γραμματέων. Ας δούμε όμως τι λέει και στην Παλαιά Διαθήκη ο προφήτης Δαβίδ, απευθυνόμενος στον Θεό, για να δείτε ότι η ανάγκη από θεραπεία και άφηση αμαρτιών δεν έχουμε μόνον εμείς ή μετά Χριστόν, αλλά και η πρόχριστου. Ήασε την ψυχή μου ότι ή Νομίζω πως είναι γνωστό σε όλους μας ο λόγος του προφήτου Δαβίδ. Τον ακούμε κάθε Κυριακή στην μεγάλη δοξολογία πριν από την Θεία Λειτουργία. Τι ζητάει από τον Θεό. Την ίαση της ψυχής του και όχι του σώματος. 
Το ίδιο θα πρέπει να κάνουμε και εμεί, αδελφοί μου. Να ζητάμε την ίαση τη ψυχή μα καθημερινά από τον Θεό και την άφηση των αμαρτιών από τον πνευματικό μα πατέρα, εάν θέλουμε όντω να γίνουμε γνήσια παιδιά και κληρονόμοι τη βασιλεία του Θεού, στον οποίο πρέπει πάσα δόξα, τιμή και προσκύνηση. Αμήν. Αυτά για σήμερα, αγαπητοί μου Χριστιανοί. Πρώτο Θεό, θα συνεχίσουμε την επόμενη εβδομάδα. Καλόν αγώνα. Today's Gospel is from Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. At that time Jesus entered Capernaum, and it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together, so that there was no longer room for them, not even about the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they laid down the pallet on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak thus? It is a blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question thus in your hearts? 
Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your pallet and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, take up your pallet and go home. And he rose and immediately took up the pallet and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. I'd like now to welcome Father Pavlos onto the program, and he will explain today's Gospel reading to us. And as always, he joins us by phone. Το ραδιοφωνικό πρόγραμμα της Αρχιεπισκοπής Νέας Ζηλανδίας. Beloved listeners, this is Father Paul Petitis speaking to you again, and we have now entered into the second Sunday of Lent, and we are hearing today the traditional gospel of the second Sunday of Saint Lent. And you just heard it read, and you heard about this man who was very ill and paralyzed and how he needed to be healed, and who was going to help him. But he had four friends. Διαβάζουμε σήμερα στο Ευαγγέλιο, ακούμε στο Ευαγγέλιο, όχι παραβολή, αλλά μια ιστορία αληθινή, πραγματική ιστορία δηλαδή, και ένας άνθρωπος που ήταν παράλυτος και ήθελε να λάβει την υγεία από τον Θεό, από τον Ιησού Χριστού, και πώς να το λάβει αφόσον δεν μπορείς να περπατήξει. Άλλη έχει, έχει τέσσερις φίλους που με μεγάλη πίστη τον φέρουν κοντά στο Χριστό. We hear in this gospel that this man who had a desire to be healed had no one to bring him in front of Christ and Christ was in the home of one of the people in Capernaum uh, and there all the people gathered to be with Jesus Christ. And um, and this man, how could he get there? Four of his friends, four faithful friends, carried him to be to Jesus, to be with Jesus. Και όταν φτάσανε στον Νίκο, είδαν ότι ήταν γεμάτο από ανθρώπους και δεν μπόρεσαν να πάνε μέσα, ήταν αδύνατο. Αλλά τι σκεφτήκανε, θα βγάλουμε τη σκεύη και από εκεί θα αφήσουμε τον άνθρωπο να περάσει από τη σκεύη. They looked around and they thought, how are we going to get this man to be in front of Christ? And they said to themselves, we'll remove the roof. Now, of course, a roof is an important thing. It's there to protect us from the elements. And we don't generally think of the roof as something to remove. But they were thinking differently. I guess you could say they were thinking outside of the box because they removed the top of the box of the home so they could bring their friend and place him before the feet of Jesus. And, of course, they had to do that by lowering him very, very carefully and in a coordinated fashion on ropes. And it took great courage, even for this paralyzed man. How does he know that the one isn't going to let the rope down a little faster than the other and he'll tumble outside of the, of the uh, stretcher on which he's lying and lay in a heap on the floor? But that wasn't his concern. His concern was he wanted to be healed. And he said, oh, whatever it takes, even if I have to 
fall in a heap on the floor, I'm going to do whatever it takes. Το σπίτι είναι γεμάτο από κόσμο και είπαν τα βγάλω με τη σκεύη και τον περάσαν από τη σκεύη και με, με, με ροπς φαίνεται ότι τον, με σκηνές τον αφήσανε κάτω σιγά 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 μέχρι να, να είναι μπροστά στα πόδια του Χριστού. Και ο Χριστός βλέπει τον άνθρωπο και τον λέει τέκνον αφαίοντέσι ε αμαρτία σου. My son, your sins are forgiven you. Christ sees the man lowered in front of him and seeing the faith of these friends. It says, seeing their faith. Now, I suppose also seeing the faith of the man. But he, the word there is very clear in Greek. Seeing their faith. In other words, not a singular faith, but the faith of all of them. He says, son, your sins are forgiven you. Now, that story could have ended there. That would be plenty. You might say, well, that's not enough. The man needs to be healed, after all. Isn't that why he came before the Lord? Well, to be honest with you, we don't know the reason he came before the Lord. It seems, if we trust that Jesus Christ is the knower of hearts, that he came before the Lord to be forgiven of his sins. Αυτό είναι πολύ σπουδαίο. Βλέπουμε ότι ο άνθρωπος αυτός έλαβε συγχώρηση των πτεσμάτων του. Και μπορούμε να λέμε ότι τώρα τελείωσε η ιστορία. Αλλά δεν τελειώνει εκεί. Γιατί δεν τελειώνει. Εμείς μπορούμε να σκεπτόμαστε ότι δεν τελειώνει γιατί δεν έλαβε την θεραπεία που ήθελε. Αλλά πώς ξέρουμε ότι ήθελε θεραπεία. Ίσως καλύτερα να ξέρουμε ότι ο Θεός, ο Χριστός που τον λέμε καρδιογνώστης, ήξερε ακριβώς τι ήθελε αυτός ο άνθρωπος. Αυτό που ήθελε ήταν όχι η ασύς του σώματος, αλλά η ασύς της ψυχής ήθελε δηλαδή συγχώρηση και αυτό ήταν το πιο σπουδαίο στη ζωή του. We, I think it's fair to, to surmise that Christ knew this man's heart and knew what he really needed and what he was really seeking. And of course, if we are thinking like the Pharisees, then we think that this man is uh, uh, coming for healing. But the Bible does not tell us that he's coming for healing. It's assumed, we assume it, but the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that he was let down in front of his four friends. And so Jesus does heal him. He heals him of his sins. I think that's important for us to know, dear listeners, that our Lord loves us so much he wants to remove from us those dark things which we call sins, the things that keep us from being full, healthy, whole human beings. Those things which keep us from being able to live with another person in peace. Those things which inspire us to do hurtful things toward other people and to wish evil things upon them. These are sins. Christ doesn't want us to be covered in sin. He wants us to be pure. The removal of the roof is a wonderful thing because it lets the light in and we get to see the situation as it really is. And we see that Jesus Christ, when the roof came off, must have been bathed in light. And that man too, the paralytic, covered in light in that dark space. And Christ comes to bring us into the light. Now the Pharisees 
they began to complain. Πώς ο Χριστός μπορεί, πώς ο, ο Ιησούς να συγχωρέσει άνθρωπος από την αμαρτία του. Μόνο ο Θεός μπορεί να κάνει αυτό. Now, in this situation we can say that the Pharisees are correct because they're complaining. How can this man forgive sins? Only God can do that. They are correct to say that only God can forgive sins, which is all the more important why we know that Christ did it. Because he is showing that he is God. That's a very important little piece of information there, don't you think? So Christ, knowing that he can't persuade them that he is God, he did what he did with complete and total love. He said, Technon afiende yamartiasu. My child, your sins are forgiven you. So if that expression of love didn't reach the hearts of the Pharisees, what could he show them? So he asked them a question, a rational question. Which do you think is harder, to say your sins are forgiven or to say take up your pallet and walk? Now, of course, the answer is it's easier to say words, your sins are forgiven you. But he doesn't hear an answer from the Pharisees. They seem always at a loss for words when Christ asks him questions. Have you ever noticed that? Οι Φαρισαίοι, όταν ο Χριστός τους ρωτάει κάτι, δεν έχουν απάντηση. Ποτέ δεν ξέρουν τι να απαντήσουνε. Γιατί φοβούνται ότι η απάντηση θα δώσουνε, ο Χριστός θα τους δείξει, θα δείξει ότι είναι γεμάτο λάθη και δεν σκέφτονται καλά. So they don't answer anything. So Christ shows them that he has authority both to forgive sins and to raise a man up from his infirmity. And so he touches the man and says, I say to you, rise, take your pallet and go home. And the man did that. He got up. Now, we who are in the middle of Lent, we think to ourselves, how does this apply to us? Hopefully you've asked that question to yourself. How does that apply to me? Well, I want it first to apply to you with this very basic meaning. It's important to receive forgiveness of sins from the priest. Don't think it's a nothing. Don't think that all your other problems are more important. This story should tell us that forgiveness of sins is more important even than being completely paralyzed, a quadriplegic as this man perhaps was. It's more important to receive forgiveness of sins. And that's what Christ came to bring to the world. After all, Christ didn't come to eliminate every sickness and every sorrow. He did much of that when he was on earth. But that wasn't his main purpose. His main purpose was to redeem the souls of man, to take us out of the grasp of sin, to set us free from the power of the devil, to restore us to our full and proper state. That was an expression of God's love for us. My brothers and sisters, now that you are in the thick of Lent, I ask you to contemplate this beautiful passage and know that God wants to heal you too. Yes, physically, if, if that's what it's called for, but more importantly, to heal you of your sin, to set you right with your fellow man, to set you right with God, to, re, to put a correct thought into your mind regarding your own self, that you treat yourself with respect as well. O Theos, θέλει να μας δώσει ένα ωραίο και σπουδαίο δώρο, να 
ελευθερωθούμε από τις αμαρτίες. Να έχουμε καλές σκέψεις με τον συνάνθρωπό μας, με τον Θεό μας και βεβαίως με τον εαυτό μας. Και ο Θεός μπορεί να το δώσει. Όποιος θέλει μπορεί να λάβει αυτή τη συγχώρηση. Έλα στην Εκκλησία. Έλα στο πιταρχήλι του Ιερέα. Έλα να λάβετε αυτή τη μεγάλη ευλογία που έφερε ο Χριστός πάνω στη γη. And with our own humble prayers for your blessed land, this is Father Paul Petitus greeting you and asking God's blessings on you and also your prayers. So, as we're nearing the end of our time together, we'd like to thank you for listening to the Holy Metropolis of New Zealand's Christian Orthodox radio broadcast on Wellington's Access Radio 106.1 FM, and I hope that you'll join us again next Sunday. I'd like to thank all our fathers for the inspiration and help we get from them, and a special thanks today to Fathers Pavlos, Meleteos, and Thadeos. We would like to wish all our listeners a blessed Lent with much enlightenment and repentance. We look forward to seeing you soon and may our beloved Christos and Panagia bless and protect us all. Herete. That program was brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks New Zealand On Air for funding accessmedia.nz.